0: New season out on Spotify soon.
2: On the eve of their 65th Congress in Zurich, Switzerland, FIFA executives slept soundly in the grandeur of the Borrelac Hotel. They'd come from all around the globe to vote for their next president.
1: The current leader, Sepp Blatter, hoped to be re elected for the fifth time. After all, he had been personally anointed by the legendary João Avalanche in 1998. After Avalanche successfully transformed soccer into a world phenomenon, Blatter further grew the sport into a juggernaut worth billions.
2: In some respects, the two of them had ushered in a new era of democracy for the game. Avalanche had expanded the World Cup from 16
1: nations to 32 and had championed women's soccer. But to build his empire, Avalanche relied on an intricate web of graft, kickbacks, and cronyism that continued under Bladder. It was a massive, precarious scheme, and it was all about to unravel.
2: At 6 a.m. local time on May 27, 2015, Swiss police officers entered the Barra Lac Hotel and headed upstairs. They arrested several drowsy,
1: bewildered FIFA executives on charges ranging from racketeering to money laundering. The men were allowed to dress and led downstairs. No handcuffs, no rough handling, no perp walk. It was all very Swiss, calm and peaceful.
2: As they were being led through the quiet lobby, the phones behind the front desk all started ringing at once. The international press had gotten wind of the arrests, Some staff members attended to the chaos, while others
1: used bedsheets to shield those arrested from prying eyes. Meanwhile, in New York City, officials from the US Department of Justice, the FBI, and the IRS unsealed a 47-count indictment against 14 defendants involved with FIFA. There would be more than 100 charges against dozens of individuals when all was said and done. Welcome to Sports Criminals, a ParCast original. Every week, we dive into the dark side of sports history and look at athletes who not only broke the law, but broke the rules and covenants of their sport. We'll also uncover how their actions impacted the history of the sport they played. I'm Tim Johnson. And I'm Carter Roy. You can find episodes of Sports Criminals and all other ParCast
2: originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts to stream Sports Criminals for free on Spotify. Just open the app and type Sports
1: Criminals in the search bar. This is our second and final episode on FIFA President Joao Avalanche, who built international soccer into a global marketing phenomenon and used it as his own personal piggy bank.
2: Last week, we covered former FIFA President Joao Avalanche's rise and how he took advantage of his success to abuse the power of his office. Over the course of decades, Avalanche enriched himself to the tune of millions of dollars.
1: This week, we're examining how the rampant corruption at FIFA evolved and finally unraveled, leaving Joao Avalanche's legacy in tatters. In 1998, 82-year-old Joao Avalanche was revered throughout the world of international sports, He held more than 50 decorations and titles francis cavalier of the legion of honor the grand cross of spain's isabella the catholic and commander of senegal's order of the lion to name just a few
2: as president of fifa the international federation of association football avalanche had shepherded the course of global soccer for 24 years With the support of sports marketing agency ISL, he'd grown FIFA into a multi-billion-dollar entity. Along the way, he'd solicited bribes, gifts, and favors
1: worth millions of dollars. For years, Avalanche's position had been unchallenged. But as the 98 election loomed, he faced opposition. Despite his dizzying success, his arrogance and the pervasive corruption that surrounded him had eroded his support. Avalanche was shrewd and knew it was time to pass the mantle to another, as long as it was someone of his choosing. At the
2: time, the presumptive frontrunner for the presidency was Lennart Johansson of Switzerland, president of the Union of European Football Associations. Unlike Avalanche, Johansson was respected for his integrity, which was exactly why Avalanche had another candidate in
1: mind. His man was FIFA General Secretary Sepp Blatter, whom Avalanche had been grooming to succeed him since the 1980s. Allegations quickly spread that Avalanche sought to hand the presidency to Blatter the only way he knew how, by secretly promising cash and favors in exchange for votes.
2: As befitting the arrogance of a man accustomed to acting with impunity, he even put it in writing. He wrote a letter to the General Secretary of Somalia's Soccer Federation that said, confirming my promise to you concerning the presence of two delegates for the FIFA Congress in Paris.
1: Avalanche would pay for all travel and accommodations and also guaranteed two free trips to Brazil. He also wrote to the president of the East African Soccer Federation, promising $50,000 for the functioning of your secretariat for the next two years.
2: Avalanche was even bolder in a letter to Hong Kong's Timothy Falk, asking him to use your influence on the federations of Hong Kong, Macau, China, and North
1: Korea. Avalanche knew he could also count on all 10 votes from South America, heavily influenced by his equally corrupt former son-in-law, Ricardo Teixeira. As the head of Brazilian soccer, Teixeira wielded significant influence in the region.
2: An ocean away... Every European delegate had initially backed Johansson, but many were peeled away by Avalanche's largesse. With Blatter's help, the French Federation switched its support from Johansson. They in turn pressured French-speaking African nations to flip-flop too.
1: At the June 8th election in Paris, Blatter defeated Johansson by 111 votes to 80. Blatter was allegedly seen later at La Meridian Hotel, where most voting delegates were staying, on Avalanche's dime. Blatter was reportedly alternating between accepting congratulations and handing out bundles of cash to delegates who had voted for him.
2: At a press conference announcing the result, when asked about allegations of impropriety, Blatter replied, The match is over. The players have already gone to the dressing room. I will not respond. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Although Avalanche's reign was officially over, he'd ensured his infrastructure of corruption would live on and continue to pay dividends. Kickbacks from sponsors, bribes for television rights, payoffs from World Cup host
1: cities, all were seen as the cost of doing business. With his protege in place, Avalanche took the title of honorary president, he enjoyed free travel a personal car and a chauffeur all paid for by the organization but most importantly avalanche had gotten out just in time he could see the writing on the wall and it didn't look good the sudden boom of televised
2: sports starting in the 1970s combined with isl's deep pockets
1: and marketing savvy had helped build fifa into a sports juggernaut but by 1998 FIFA and ISL had competitors. Sports management companies like US-based IMG and British ISM recognized the growing value of sponsoring athletes and events, and they were gaining ground.
2: Sporting goods manufacturers, notably Nike, also started making deals directly with teams and athletes. The International Soccer Federations were also establishing their own marketing divisions. ISL was losing its
1: prominence. Two years earlier, ISL lost rights to the Olympics ahead of the 1996 Atlanta games. To reestablish themselves, they went on a hasty buying spree. In
2: 1998, they purchased the commercial rights to several sports championships at a cost of more than $300 million. They also bought the television rights to International Basketball Association games and invested heavily in Brazilian soccer powerhouses, Flamenco and
1: Grêmio. In 1999, ISL signed its biggest-ever TV and marketing contract with the Association of Tennis Professionals to promote and carry international tennis. The cost? $1.2 billion over 10 years. ISL was hemorrhaging money. If the acquisitions didn't pay off, it wouldn't survive another decade. They didn't.
2: ISL lost more than $50 million in the first year of the contract, in 2001, they tried to negotiate a settlement of $150 million to break the ATP contract. There was only one problem. They didn't have that
1: either. ISL did what it could, but its financial losses were too great to overcome. In May of 2001, ISL declared bankruptcy. The sudden insolvency was about to attract the unwanted attention of investigators.
2: And Joao Avalanche would be in their
1: crosshairs. Coming up, a trail of criminal activity leads directly to FIFA and its former president.
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you.
2: For decades, Joao Avalanche used bribery and backdoor dealings to make FIFA an international sports powerhouse. Then, in 1998, the 82-year-old stepped down as president of the organization. Three years later, the shady marketing agency he'd used to build his success, ISL, went bankrupt.
1: The case practically begged to be investigated. With debts of nearly half a billion dollars, ISL's bankruptcy was the second largest in Swiss history. The Swiss authorities were eager to discover just how deep the corruption went. It wasn't Avalanche's only misstep that year. Also in
2: 2001, a Brazilian congressional inquiry into his son-in-law, Ricardo Teixeira, found so-called irregularities. He was the head of Brazil's Sports Confederation and seemed to have an inappropriately close relationship with
1: his sponsors. For example, a former director of Nike, Sandro Rosé, was best man at Teixeira's wedding. They'd been friends since the 90s when Rosé lived in Rio and Nike became the official supplier for the Brazilian national team.
2: The relationship between Nike and the Sports Confederation was investigated for months. Much of the attention focused on 54-year-old Teixeira's lifestyle,
1: which was clearly beyond his income. Teixeira traveled widely, favoring five-star hotels and luxury ski resorts. He was a frequent guest at Zurich's five-star Borulak Hotel and had a table waiting at the top restaurants. He always picked up the check, using a credit card with a limit in excess of 100,000 US dollars. The Congressional Committee met
2: for a year before issuing its report calling for Teixeira's resignation. He refused. His strategy for dealing with allegations of wrongdoing was to dismiss them as personal attacks motivated by jealousy or
1: politics. When possible, he also filed lawsuits against his detractors. He sued Brazilian sports journalist Juca Kifori more than 50 times. Avalanche once described Teixeira as someone that can take abuse and organize payback. If you had to define cunning, he said, it'd be Ricardo Teixeira. But the strategy proved ineffective.
2: Eventually, the Congressional Committee passed its investigation to the public prosecutor. It alleged 13 charges, including embezzlement, money laundering,
1: and tax evasion. But under Brazilian law, it's the prosecutors who can file criminal charges. Inexplicably, the prosecutor declined to do so in Teixeira's case, and the charges were dropped.
2: The win prompted Joao Avalanche to reappear on the international stage. Even in retirement, and in his early 90s, he remained an influential figure. In 2006, he helped organize a bid for his native Brazil to host the 2014
1: World Cup for the first time since 1950. The bid had been officially submitted by Teixeira in 2006 to increase his power and influence. In a move he'd learned from his mentor, Teixeira appointed his own daughter, Joanna, as executive director of Brazil's World Cup organizing committee.
2: Although Brazil was ill-prepared to host the tournament, Avalanche was undeterred. He used his considerable clout to lobby for South Africa to host the 2010 World Cup, in exchange for African nations to vote for Brazil's 2014 bid. Both countries got what they wanted, but Brazil had a long way to go before it was ready to host the tournament. FIFA president Sepp Blatter acknowledged that Brazil didn't have any stadium suitable for World Cup competition, to share a promise to completely refurbish existing subpar facilities
1: and build four from scratch. Like his father-in-law, Teixeira's confidence was boundless. He knew the coming World Cup in Brazil would help make him one of the most powerful men in sports. In one interview, he openly boasted to the reporter, In 2014, I'll be able to get away with anything. The most slippery, unthinkable, Machiavellian things. And you know what? Nothing will happen.
2: But Teixeira's confidence in FIFA's ongoing corruption was misplaced. In 2008, the investigation into marketing agency ISL concluded six ISL executives were brought to trial. They faced charges of fraud, embezzlement, fraudulent bankruptcy,
1: and falsification of documents. The trial revealed that between $100 and $150 million in personal commissions had been paid to sports officials between 1989 and 2000 to secure broadcast rights. The judge called those commissions what they really were, bribes. But then in 2010, the trial ended. Two anonymous
2: FIFA officials agreed to pay over $6.2 million in restitution to the court, though they simultaneously denied any criminal wrongdoing. The six former ISL executives on trial were subsequently cleared of fraud
1: charges. The gambit worked because Swiss law only prosecutes private sector corruption if one of the parties files a complaint. FIFA hadn't asked for ISL's criminal prosecution. By paying this minor restitution, they were able to stop it.
2: Accused of handing out over $100 million illegally, FIFA swept the charges under the rug for a fraction of that. Then, at the request of FIFA's lawyers, the report was sealed. They also demanded
1: that their clients remained anonymous. However, one lawyer, in arguing against continued prosecution, gave his client's identity away. The attorney described him as an old man in poor health who no longer has an official role in FIFA. To anyone paying attention, it was obvious he was talking about Joao Avalanche.
2: However, reading between the lines was one thing. Actually proving Avalanche's corruption was another. Investigative journalist Andrew Jennings was determined to get to the bottom of the story.
1: The British reporter had spent years investigating corruption in sports. Between 1992 and 2000, he published three books alleging corruption at the highest levels of the International Olympic Committee.
2: In 2001, at the urging of a sports journalist, he turned his investigative eye toward FIFA, he traveled to Rio and quickly discovered what he called a rot that went back as far as 1974, when Avalanche was first elected president. He then went to Zurich and found an informant willing to rat on Avalanche. In 2006, Jennings released a book called "Foul: The Secret World of FIFA. It detailed the organization's history of bribes,
1: vote rigging, ticket scandals, and the collapse of ISL. So when the ISL case was shut down in 2008, Jennings decided to dig deeper. To him, it reeked of FIFA's corruption.
2: A year-long legal battle by Jennings and the BBC forced the court to release documents relating to the investigation. Immune from the confidentiality agreement struck by the court, Jennings identified the men responsible for paying the $6 million that ended
1: the trial. Unsurprisingly, the two men who paid restitution without being criminally implicated were Joao Avalanche and Ricardo Teixeira. The documents also accounted for the distribution of over $100 million in bribes. Avalanche was the recipient of $1.5 million in 1997, while Ricardo Teixeira had collected an astounding $13 million between 1992 and 97 student had surpassed the master.
2: Then current FIFA president Sepp Blatter was also implicated. Back in 1997, a payment to Avalanche was sent by mistake to FIFA. Blatter, then the general secretary, didn't report it or stop it or
1: even wonder what it was for. Instead, he simply passed it along to Avalanche, clearly bladder was aware of and complicit in the bribes and kickbacks changing hands under his watch
2: but the allegations of corruption didn't phase avalanche whatsoever to him those favors and trades and kickbacks were perks that came with the title at one point he told a reporter who doesn't want to sit in that chair with all the resources and power that fifa has today
1: his protege tishara was even bolder saying of corruption allegations, I don't pay attention to them, I couldn't give a shit.
2: He'd soon be forced to care. A second Swiss investigation was launched in 2010. The investigators charged that between them, Avalanche and Teixeira had collected $42 million in exchange for favorable contracts to ISL.
1: The prosecutors also pursued charges of embezzlement, not bribery, which wasn't illegal at the time, alleging both men had committed criminal breaches of their duties as executives to FIFA. But
2: once again, despite the evidence against them, neither man faced trial. Instead, they paid between three and five million dollars to the liquidators of ISL. The prosecution likely felt they had no choice but to accept the deal since Switzerland's statute of limitations had expired. Besides,
1: at 94 years old, Avalanche evoked more sympathy than enmity. Still, even though there wasn't a trial, the charges against Avalanche and Teixeira rippled throughout the sports world. Just because they couldn't be punished in a criminal court, that didn't mean they wouldn't face any justice. The International Olympic Committee opened an ethics case against Avalanche. Facing suspension and possible expulsion, Avalanche submitted his resignation from the committee just three days before his hearing in Lausanne, Switzerland.
2: Meanwhile, Teixeira's involvement in the scandal drew the attention of federal authorities at home. As host nation to the 2014 World Cup, Brazil was the subject of worldwide attention. Wanting to avoid any hint of scandal, the Brazilian government opened an investigation into Teixeira, including tax avoidance and money laundering.
1: It was discovered that over $2 million were deposited into a bank account in his youngest daughter's name in June of 2011, when she was just 10 years old. The money was alleged to have come from Sandro Rosé, Teixeira's friend from Nike. Teixeira, now 64, was also facing
2: public misgivings over Brazil's readiness to host the World Cup games.
1: Construction delays and overspending continued to plague his efforts. The Games should have been his crowning achievement, putting him on a path to succeed his mentor. When he was awarded the bid, Avalanche assured Teixeira the FIFA presidency would be his. He said that if Teixeira put on a good World Cup, everyone will vote for you. It wasn't to be. In March of 2012,
2: under the relentless pressures of the investigation and the daunting challenge of hosting soccer's grandest international tournament, Shera called it quits. Citing poor health, he resigned as head of Brazil's sports confederation and overseer of the World Cup. He also relinquished his seat on FIFA's executive
1: committee. Around that same time, Avalanche, at the age of 96, was hospitalized for several weeks in intensive care with an infection in his leg. He'd suffered a hairline crack in his ankle bone while swimming his daily three-quarters-of-a-mile regimen.
2: At this point in his long life, Avalanche was still mentally and physically vigorous. Although his notorious arrogance had softened,
1: he remained an imperious figure. He should have been a respected elder figure in the world of sports, a former Olympian who'd built an empire, now approaching his hundredth year on Earth. Instead, his legend was tarnished by scandal. But in terms of formal punishment from FIFA, both Avalanche and Teixeira were safe. With Avalanche's protégé Sepp Blatter running the show, they had nothing to worry about.
2: Under Blatter's leadership, FIFA had continued the growth that Avalanche had precipitated. In 2007, it moved into a new headquarters, a roughly $200 million monument to Blatter's accomplishments. Revenues had grown from about $560 million in 1998 to nearly
1: $5.7 billion in 2014. But with the sudden focus on FIFA's corruption, Blatter's unwillingness to punish Avalanche and Teixeira was coming back to bite him. The 76-year-old faced calls to step down as president. He refused, emboldened by his success.
2: But even with all the power Blatter wielded, he couldn't keep the dogs at bay forever. Eventually, an internal ethics committee was formed to investigate Avalanche and Teixeira, sanction misconduct and institute reforms. In May of 2013, the committee concluded that both men were guilty of accepting illegal payments from ISL for decades. The committee declared their behavior morally and ethically reproachable.
1: Despite Blatter's complicity on at least one occasion, when he received a misdirected bribe and passed it along to Avalanche, the report found Blatter not guilty of any misconduct. It said only that his handling of things may have been clumsy
2: blatter declared himself vindicated even boasting i have no doubt that fifa thanks to the governance reform process that i proposed now has the means to ensure that such an issue does not happen again
1: while bladder emerged unscathed 96 year old avalanche had no choice but to resign his post as honorary president of fifa Since he was no longer part of the organization, he was immune from sanctions by the Ethics Committee, but his disgrace was far from complete.
2: Coming up, Joao Avalanche is served one final indignity.
1: Now back to the story. It took an entire lifetime, but by the time he was in his mid-90s, Joao Avalanche's past finally caught up with him. Reports swirled of the millions of dollars in bribes he accepted while president of FIFA. While he'd avoided prosecution in a 2008 trial and also escaped a 2010 investigation, both had exposed decades of rampant corruption. A damning BBC investigation followed, detailing the extent of the criminal activity that the courts could not.
2: In the wake of the scandal, FIFA's newly established ethics committee made recommendations for reforms. They included a member's code of conduct, more women appointed to the executive committee, and a restriction allowing only one World Cup to be assigned at a
1: time. This last rule was especially important. In the past, the practice of assigning multiple World Cups at once allowed delegates to barter favors between prospective bid nations, as Avalanche had in the last two tournaments. Back
2: when he was still FIFA's honorary president, Avalanche had promised the 2010 World Cup to South Africa in exchange for the African nations to support Brazil's bid
1: for 2014. It was the kind of tit-for-tat deal-making for which he was famous. The subsequent FIFA Congress for the next two World Cups appeared even more corrupt. In 2010, before the new rules were implemented, The 2018 tournament was given to Russia, despite a long history of human rights violations. The 2022 tournament was awarded incredibly to Qatar, a nation with scant soccer history, few stadiums, insufficient infrastructure, and oppressive summer heat exceeding 120 degrees.
2: Allegations of vote rigging continue to this day. An indictment was unsealed on April 6, 2020, alleging that millions of dollars were paid to FIFA executives to vote in favor of Cutter's World
1: Cup bid. Among those implicated, Ricardo Teixeira. Avalanche's fingers were everywhere, which is why the Ethics Committee's reforms didn't go far enough. They failed to limit terms of office for the president, address pervasive conflicts of interest, or nepotism. In fact, latter’s
2: nephew was in charge of the company that managed FIFA's television rights when the reforms were announced. It was a continuation of the culture under Avalanche and would be difficult to change.
1: There was simply no incentive for FIFA's executives and directors to truly reform a system that, in 2014 alone, provided them with $42 million in salary and pension payments. Revenues in the cycle ending in 2014 had grown to $5.7 billion. Of
2: that money, a full $1 billion was allocated to member associations to finance development, which basically meant it was theirs to spend however they wanted. The funds often went directly to those loyal to leadership, a self-perpetuating cycle.
1: It was no surprise then that the shady dealings continued the following year. In May of 2015, FIFA members from across the globe gathered in Zurich for their 65th Congress, where they would vote to elect their president for the next four years.
2: Sepp Blatter had been re-elected unopposed in both 2007 and 2011, but this time he faced his first challenger since
1: 2002, Prince Ali bin Al-Hussein of Jordan. The vote was to be held on Friday, May 29th but the morning of May 27th proved a rude awakening for some FIFA executives. Sometime after 6 a.m., Swiss plainclothes police entered the five-star hotel where FIFA's executives were staying. The officers showed their credentials to the staff at the front desk, acquired room numbers, and headed quietly upstairs to arrest seven FIFA executives.
2: Meanwhile, at a press conference in New York City, the U.S. Department of Justice announced a 47-count indictment. Targeted at nine FIFA officials and five corporate executives, it alleged charges of racketeering, wire fraud,
1: and money laundering. Alongside FBI Director James Comey, Attorney General Loretta Lynch accused the 14 men of a 24-year scheme to enrich themselves through the corruption of international soccer. The
2: DOJ's interest had been triggered years earlier by journalist Andrew Jennings' investigations into FIFA. FBI agents contacted Jennings in 2009, and they met several times over the next two years. Jennings provided them with documents that allowed them to secure witnesses and other evidence. In the end, they uncovered extensive corruption and a myriad of financial wrongdoing. Because many of those illegal bribe payments were conducted through American banks... They were subject to U.S. DOJ
1: jurisdiction. The FIFA executives arrested during the May 27th raid were charged with running a $150 million bribery scheme and were detained pending extradition to the U.S.
2: Although Avalanche wasn't among those charged, this was the house that he had built. When all was said and done, 26 individuals were convicted on various racketeering and corruption
1: charges thanks to him. The consequences were just beginning. Swiss prosecutors also opened a criminal investigation into the 2018 World Cup in Russia and the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Somehow, Blatter was not among those arrested, which meant he was free to pursue the presidency.
2: A more prudent man might have delayed the vote or even postponed the Congress. With FIFA members facing unprecedented criminal charges, the organization and its leaders were being lambasted in the press. The PR optics of holding a vote to possibly re-elect the man who'd overseen that period of
1: corruption were poor at best. Yet, a defiant bladder insisted on holding the election as scheduled just two days after the raid. FIFA Vice President David Gill threatened to resign if Blatter was re-elected or refused to stand down. Blatter didn't, and the vote would be held. But
2: in keeping with the chaos and FIFA's recent run of bad karma, the Congress was delayed when a bomb threat was called in at 11 a.m. on the day of the vote. The hall was evacuated temporarily. Consistent with its reputation for dishonesty, FIFA publicly declared the reported bomb threat
1: nonsense. Finally, the Congress resumed and the vote was held. When neither party received the necessary two-thirds majority, according to FIFA's bylaws, a second round should have been held.
2: Before the second vote, however, Blatter's competitor, Al Hussein, announced his withdrawal. Blatter won his fifth term as president by default.
1: FIFA Vice President Gill immediately resigned his position in protest. A triumphant bladder addressed his delegates, stating, Events of this week have cast a shadow on football and our Congress. But the guilty ones, if confirmed guilty, are individuals. It's not the entire organization. Now we have to repair the damage.
2: But they'd have to do it without bladder. Just four days later, under the intense pressure of the investigation and press backlash, he finally folded and resigned as FIFA president. His 17-year tenure ended under a cloud of scandal that began with his predecessor, Joao Avalanche. As the investigations continued, he would ultimately be banned by FIFA for eight years.
1: In December of 2015, the U.S. Justice Department indicted other FIFA officials, including Ricardo Teixeira. To date, Teixeira has managed to avoid extradition from Brazil to any of the four countries in which he's been investigated and charged. But that doesn't mean he's completely immune from punishment. In
2: 2019, Teixeira was banned for life by FIFA. In April of 2020, He was named in yet another indictment for receiving bribes to vote for Cutter's World Cup bid. It's unlikely he'll leave the sanctuary of
1: Brazil anytime soon. Avalanche's fate was a little more conclusive. On May 8, 2016, he turned 100 years old. Through a spokesperson, Avalanche declared his plans to attend the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro.
2: The namesake stadium built in his honor for the 2007 Pan American Games would host the marquee Olympic track and field events. But the eyes of the world were on Brazil and the corruption scandal lingering over Avalanche's empire was still fresh. To avoid any controversy, officials removed his name for the duration of the games, simply
1: calling it Olympic Stadium. The opening ceremonies were held on August 5th, but Avalanche wasn't in attendance. He'd been taken to Samaritano Hospital after suffering a respiratory infection. He died on August 16, 2016, while the games in Rio were still underway. The Brazilian flag
2: was lowered to half-mast at Olympic venues, and the IOC said its thoughts
1: were with Avalanche's family and loved ones. Current FIFA president Gianni Infantino acknowledged Avalanche's contributions to the sport of soccer, saying, During his 24 years as FIFA president, football became truly global, reaching new territories and bringing the game to all corners of the world. It
2: was a kind thing to say, and a simple way to avoid the darker elements
1: of Avalanche's legacy. But since his passing, actions have spoken louder than words. In February 2017, Rio de Janeiro officially renamed the stadium that was once named for Avalanche to Estadio Olimpico Nilton Santos. It was a final posthumous indignity to the man who created modern soccer at the cost of his soul.
2: Thanks again for listening to Sports Criminals. We'll be back
1: next week with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Sports Criminals and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite ParCast Originals like Sports Criminals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To
2: stream Sports Criminals on Spotify, just open the app and type Sports Criminals in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Sports Criminals was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Sports Criminals was written by Ken Pisani, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Tim Johnson and Carter Roy.